Father, we, uh, wow, we just come to you this morning. How can we even speak the word grace and not have our hearts lifted to sing praise to you? For grace is what you have shown us through your son, Jesus. The grace that was undeserved and unearned and unmerited in any way, and yet you and your great love for us sent your son Jesus to die for our sin, sin we could never pay for, but only Jesus Christ could make the payment that would atone for the sin, that would allow us access into your kingdom and into a relationship with you. And so we celebrate your grace this morning, and as we have sung songs about grace and now open your word to talk about a picture of grace in the life of one of the, the people of the Old Testament. I just pray that you will speak to our hearts because, Lord, there are some here this morning who have never experienced your grace. We may have heard about grace. We may talk about grace. We may have even studied about grace, but grace has not been received. And the great benefit and joy of that grace as a result has not been experienced. So I pray this morning that you will open up our hearts and for your children who have experienced your grace and love through Jesus Christ will just lift up praise in their heart as we stand in awe of that great mercy and grace you've shown us. And yet for those who don't know you, open their heart that they might receive by faith your grace your gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Help us to open our hearts to your word and respond according to your will this morning. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's good to be here with you this morning. And I always think that when we're singing songs of joy and singing songs of grace, that if we looked in the mirror, I wonder if our faith really projected the joy uh, of what grace has done for our lives. Uh, way back when I heard a story about D.L. Moody speaking to a preaching class and he was talking to them and he said, you know, when you're, uh, when you're preaching on heaven, your, your face ought to just light up and, and be excited and great joy should be shown in your face when you're talking about what God has done for us in Christ and our hope and joy in heaven, he said, Man, it really ought to express that. And he said, when you're talking about hell, your normal face will do. <laughs> Sometimes what we know in our heart isn't always expressed uh, through our, our facial expressions, but we can't really talk about grace and not sense that joy of what God has done for us. I want to share with you this morning uh, from a passage in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Years ago, as I was reading through the Bible, there are a number of Old Testament stories that just resonated with me. And, and I love the Old Testament stories about how God worked in people and through people and, and how sometimes he used the most unlikely people, even in the Old Testament, to do some pretty powerful and, and, and amazing things to honor God. And this is a story about uh, a guy named Mephibosheth. Now, if you were to look at the top 1,000 names that people name their boys, Mephibosheth would not even be on that list. I don't think I've ever run into anybody with that name. And we're really not even sure what the name 
defines or, or why he was named that. But it is a story of God's grace toward Mephibosheth through King David that had made a covenant with his best buddy, Jonathan, Saul's son. In that when something would happen or did happen with Jonathan and King Saul, that, that David had made this covenant with Jonathan that said, I will take care of any of your family that is left. And, and it's a wonderful story about, about how God's grace reaches out uh, through King David, who normally would not have done this, other, outside of the fact that there was a covenant made with Jonathan. And, and so it's a wonderful story that really resonates with us and a picture of God's grace toward us through Christ, through the new covenant and the hope that we find in that, at the end of this, Mephibosheth is sitting at the king's table and eats there daily in safety and security. But he never would have done that outside of King David seeking him out, bringing him to himself, giving him back all the things that had been taken away from the family and then allowing him to come and reside with great joy and provision in the king's house. You see, that's really kind of a, a nutshell idea message of what God has done for us in Christ. And that's why I want to focus on this passage this morning from 2 Samuel 9, verses 1 through 13. So if you have your Bible, if you'll open it and follow with me, then I'll go back and, and share some things with you leading up to this and uh, some truths that I think are important for us to understand, not only about what God did in Mephibosheth's life, but what he does in our life through Jesus Christ. Second Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. David asked, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba, he called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? Your servant, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Micar, son of Amiel in Lodibar. So the king had him brought from Lodibar to the house of Makar, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, he said, your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then king, the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may provide it for for Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. 
Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and he was crippled in both of his feet. It's really a wonderful story, and the story really is related to the relationship that um, King David, that David at the time, had with Saul's son, Jonathan. And you remember that David, uh, David was the, the shepherd. Uh, God uh, chose him out of all the other brothers to be the king of Israel. He had anointed him and he had called him. And though David made uh, many errors in his life and, and even committed adultery and murder, God said that he was a man after his own heart. And finally, things had transpired where King Saul and Jonathan, his son, were killed in battle with the Philistines. And, and when all of this was about to take place, uh, the message came to Jerusalem and they warned uh, the nurse who was taking care of Mephibosheth to get out of town and, and run away. And so uh, the nurse grabbed him and they were running out and somehow uh, he fell or he was dropped. And it says that his both feet were crippled and he couldn't go any further. And so he was picked up and he was hidden in Lodibar, and that means a deserted place. Now, the common uh, reaction for anybody in a king's family who had died and a new king had come in was that the new king would generally go out and wipe out all the old king's family because then there would be no challenge against their kingship. And so here is Mephibosheth. He's crippled from uh, five years old, living in Lodibar, which is a very isolated, very hidden place. Nobody knew he was there other than Saul's main servant, the master servant. And because of the relationship that David had with Jonathan, Saul's son, who they made a covenant that Jonathan had said, if anything happens, take care of my family. In fact, even Saul in chapter 24 uh, through 22 tells us about Saul saying David, to David basically the same thing to watch out for those who might be left of our family when we are gone this is a wonderful relationship that they had David and Jonathan and even though Jonathan recognized that David was rising to kingship over himself he still loved David and they loved one another in fact as I was preparing for this and doing some study on it in our evening devotion, Trudy and I were reading, and, and we, we read out of a, a Max Licato book, and, and there was actually a piece in here about uh, Jonathan. I just want you to, to hear what he said, how he, how he melded Jonathan and David together. He said, Jonathan could have been as jealous of David as Saul. As Saul's son, he stood to inherit the throne. A noble soldier himself, he was fighting Philistines while David was still feeding sheep. Jonathan had reason to despise David, but he didn't. He was gracious, gracious because the hand of the master weaver took his and David's hearts and stitched the seam between them. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul, it says in 1 Samuel 18. As if the two hearts were two fabrics, God needled and thread them together. So interwoven were they, when one moved, the other felt it. When one was stretched, the other knew it. Oh, how to have a friend like Jonathan, a soulmate who protects you, who seeks nothing but your interests, wants nothing but your happiness, an ally who lets you be you. You feel safe with that person. God gave David such a friend.
And David did not forget his friend, nor did he forget the covenant that he had made with Jonathan. And nobody really knew about Mephibosheth. And so after all these things had transpired, here we find David about to pour out grace to Mephibosheth. In fact, there are some who say that this is probably the most, uh, the, the most important passage dealing with an action of grace in the Old Testament. Let me ask you this question. Do you know grace when you see it? Do you know what grace looks like? Have you experienced grace? Do you demonstrate grace? Many people, Christians as well, fail to see the grace of God in their lives. We somehow begin to, to forget of all that God had done in our life and even where we were before we knew Christ. All of this is an act of God's grace, unmerited favor. Not that we earned anything, we didn't. Not that we merited anything, we didn't. We deserve to be separated from God because of our sin, but God, in his grace and mercy, sent his son Jesus to die for us and to reach out to us and find us and seek us and draw us to himself. Many Christians today live with a it's-my-right attitude. God brought me into the kingdom, and now God somehow owes me. <laughs> Listen, God's grace doesn't owe you anything. God's grace does something in you and for you and to you, which helps us be blown away by the very act of his reaching out to us and bringing us into his family. That grace ought to cause us to stand in awe. And when we're singing about God's grace and we recognize where we were and where we are now in relationship to him, that ought to impact us and it ought to bring great joy as well as powerful worship in expression of thanksgiving for his mercy. We deserve death, separation, punishment, but what we deserve and what we received was not what God gave us. He gave us grace through Jesus Christ. So when you think about it, think about grace in your life. Do you show grace in your life? Do you demonstrate grace toward others? Do you recognize when God is showing grace to you, maybe through someone or through something in your life, that you see God at work out of his grace and his love for you doing something wonderful? Sometimes we neglect to see that. Let me share a couple of things with you from this passage. Number one, grace seeks us out, though we don't deserve it. And I love this. You remember Jesus said to his disciples, you didn't choose me, I chose you. We didn't choose God. We were in rebellion against God. We didn't seek him out. We, we, didn't, we didn't thirst for him the way that we should, but he came to us and he sought us out, even when we didn't deserve it. In chapter 4 verse, uh, of our passage, verse 4 of 2 Samuel, it says, Jonathan, the son of Saul, uh, who had a son that was lame in both feet, he was, tells us he was five years old, and uh, when the news about uh, him came to Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. The nurse picked him up, fled, they hurried, and he fell and became crippled. In chapter 9, a good period of time had elapsed because now Mephibosheth was, he had a young son of his own. It tells us in verse 12, named Micah. 
And uh, David asked, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Notice that it's for Jonathan's sake and not Saul's, even though they were really tied together. And Saul had said the same thing. But you remember the contention that was between Saul and David over those many years and the jealousy and the pride that Saul had, even to the point of trying to kill David. And even when David had opportunity to kill Saul, he would not do it because he acknowledged and respected him as the king of Israel. So this is really about Jonathan and about David. And David finds out, and he sends for Mephibosheth, and he had him brought to Jerusalem. And I wonder what Mephibosheth was thinking. All these years, as a, as a, a little boy, since five years old, he's been crippled, he's been hidden. Uh, Ziba and the other servants have been caring for him. Uh, he's in a desolate place. In fact, Lodi Bar is, is literally a desolate place. It's like taking him out to the most uh, deserted area of the world and putting him there and hiding them because everyone would have thought that David would have him killed if he knew about him. And that's where he grew up, and he even had a son, it tells us. So now he's older, and now here comes Ziba, the servant, the master of the servant, to take him to Jerusalem. Now, if David had been after him and had learned about him, he wouldn't have been sending a servant to retrieve him. He would have been sending the guards, his soldiers, to get him and bring him, put him in jail and, and take his life. But here is Ziba, obedient to his master and obedient to the king. So Ziba goes to him and he says, Mephibosheth, King David wants you to come to court. He wants you to come to Jerusalem. He wants me to bring you to him. And you can imagine how Mephibosheth thought. Oh my gosh, I'm dead. <laughs> I have no hope. The king's going to take me out. I'm not going to have any life. Uh, I'm, I'm doomed. But that was never the intent. That was never the intent for David. It was never God's intent for Mephibosheth. Now, you know, it's interesting that too many times we predetermine or preconceive what God might be doing. That we have a preconceived idea that, well, if God's going to do this in my life, then this is going to happen. If, if things are happening this way, then something bad is, not, is, not, is going to happen to me. And that's not the case. God, when he's working in his grace, always does things for us and in us and through us that are going to honor him and going to bless us. Now, it doesn't mean it won't be without struggle. It won't be without challenge. But God is always loving and always concerned about how he reaches out to us. But we were very much like Mephibosheth. And the Bible's clear that there is none righteous, not even one. Mephibosheth had no right to the throne. He had no ability to come to Jerusalem. He had no claim to anything. He was desolate. He was isolated and probably lonely out there in Lodibar when the news came for him to come to Jerusalem. Just like we are outside of Christ, we are not righteous before God. We have no right to enter his kingdom. We have no claim uh, to a relationship with him. It's only through Christ that that happens. And God in his great mercy and love toward us reaches out to us to draw him to ourselves. Have you ever gone back and asked the question, how did God speak to my heart? How did he reach out to me? Who did he use? Was it a worship service? Was it an individual, a family member, a co-worker? Maybe it was a Bible in a motel room. What did God do to get my attention in seeking me out? Because something 
took place. And God drew you to himself. No matter what your situation was, no matter how bad you were or even how good you were, God reached out to you. In John 15, 16, Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and, I, and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. That was the expectation that he had of them, that he was reaching out to them. He chose them to be the disciples and then he was going to train them and send them out to bear fruit. When Jesus reached out to you <clears throat> and somehow he got your attention, he had an expectation of what he wanted you to do and how he wanted you to be. And maybe as you look back at that moment when you connected with God and you sensed the Spirit drawing you and you surrendered your life to him, maybe there were some things that, that you got excited about and, and you thought, wow, this is wonderful. I, I'm so grateful that God saved me from my sin. I have a relationship with him. And, and man, I'm going to serve him and I'm going to honor him with my life. And then you look back from there to now and you're thinking, wow, I don't know that I did what I told God I would do. I think sometimes we have to ask that question. God called us for a reason and a purpose. We don't know exactly what the purpose of Mephibosheth was, but the main point of why God reached out to him through King David was to honor a covenant that David had made with Jonathan. God never breaks his promises. David was not going to break a promise or a commitment that he had made with Jonathan and with Saul. I will take care of whoever, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what it costs, I will care for them. And here's a person crippled. Here's a person isolated. Here's a person that's broken. And now he's being brought to the palace to live with the king of kings. Uh, Ricardo Devine, our, our uh, director down at the Rock, shared in our Sunday school class this morning and talked about those who are broken and isolated, those who are hurting and, and those who are lost out in our community and how we care for them and minister to them and reach out to them and how we perceive them and how they perceive us. There are a lot of hurting, broken people out in the world, and sometimes, I think many times, God is going to touch their life through his children who interact with them, who care for them, who love them, who spend time with them, who ask them, as Rick was telling us this morning, what their story is, because everybody has a story. If you were to sit down with Mephibosheth and say, before David ever called for him and said, Mephibosheth, what's your story? Well... My grandfather was killed in battle, King Saul. My father was killed in battle, Jonathan. My nurse was trying to save me from being killed myself in Jerusalem. And so they grabbed me and we were running out. And somehow I fell and I was crippled in both of my feet, unable to get around. And they hid me out here in the desert where no one could find me. That's my story. And then here comes Ziba with the good news. Mephibosheth, King David wants you to come to him. And he wants to honor you and honor the covenant that he had made with your father and even with your grandfather. And what does that do? That's the second point. What that does is grace extinguishes the flames of fear in our heart. 
Sometimes God wants to do something in our life and in our heart, and we, we're a little reluctant. We're not sure that it's really going to happen. We, we don't understand all that's going on. And that seems to be with Mephibosheth. Here he is coming to the king's palace, not knowing exactly what was going to happen. In 1 John 4, 18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect fear drives out. A perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Certainly Mephibosheth would have thought about uh, being killed or being in, uh, in prison. There was fear there. There could have been great concern about what was going to happen, but true grace extinguishes that. Instead of being punished for being related to the king, uh, of, of Israel, Mephibosheth was rewarded by the love David had for Jonathan. If you look at verses 6 through 8 here, when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. So he came in, and he came in in how? Humility. He came before the king, and he bowed down, and he honored him as king. He came humbly before him and honored him. And David said... Do not be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Now think about this. God, our father, who we sinned against, who we rebelled against, who we have rejected, sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die for our sin. Through Jesus, he reaches out to us and he brings us to the Father. And God, as we put our faith in Jesus Christ, God looks at us and he sees his son Jesus there. Because of the covenant of faith, because of what Jesus did on the cross and your faith in him and his work on the cross, believing that what he did was sufficient to pay the price for your sin, because of that, you are welcome into my kingdom. I honor the atoning work of Jesus, my son on the cross, and you're coming and trusting in him by faith. That's really kind of the picture that we see here with Mephibosheth and, and King David. Mephibosheth bowed down, and he says, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? He understood his place. He understood his condition. And he came before the king, and he acknowledged that, just like us coming before God and saying, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know, I know I do not meet the standards. I know I don't do the things I should be doing. Those separate me from you. I take, I take a, a, and acknowledge that sin in my life. I take responsibility for it. And we bow down to him. And we honor him in our humility. Isaiah 57, 15 says this. But this is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. So to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Can you imagine uh, what would have taken place as Mephibosheth is bowed down? He's humble. He's broken. He acknowledges uh, his position and where he stands in front of the king. And then King David tells him what he's going to do for him. That's the third point. Grace provides more blessings than what we deserve. Uh, God does more for us in our relationship within him than what we would even expect. And certainly we come to him in faith and we trust him to save us from our sins through Jesus Christ. And we are saved. 
But there is so much more to it. And there is a, a, a part toward the end when we will be gathered with him and all the saints of glory. We will sit down at the table, the bride's table, the great banquet room, and eat with him and fellowship with him forever. And that's what it says here about Mephibosheth. Everything that had been Saul's was giving to, given to him. He had nothing of his own. Saul's servants were to care for all that was given to him. So he wasn't even going to have to do the labor to keep up all the property and all the things that Saul had owned that now had become his. And Mephibosheth would always eat at the king's table. That is an amazing thing because here is someone who is the grandson of the previous king of Israel who now is going to eat daily the best of the best for the rest of his life. Can you imagine the transition that takes place with Mephibosheth? That would be pretty exciting. God is telling us, you were separated from me, lost in your sin under the principalities and powers of this world, but through Jesus Christ and by grace, you are being saved as a result of your faith in Jesus, and you will be blessed, and all the things that I have available in my kingdom I am giving to you, and you will eat at my table from now on, daily and forever, and one day we will all be gathered around the throne room, and the great banquet room, and live forever with him. You don't have to worry about anything Beyond that, he'll give us our daily bread. He'll give us all that we need to live far beyond what we could anticipate or expect having been separated from him. Let me share some things just from this that I think are important for us to remember. Number one, Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. He is the one who sought us out. He is the one who paid the price for our sin. He came to call those who were in darkness into the light through the preaching of the gospel of grace. Paul said in Acts 20, 24, speaking to the Ephesian elders, he said, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only that I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Paul's task isn't any different from our task, by the way to preach the gospel of grace. Jesus calls us to come to him as we are helpless and hopeless. And we are to come in him broken and in, hum in humility, knowing that we're coming in to the presence of the creator, sustainer, and redeemer of all life. Not pridefully, not with our own self-righteousness. He calls us to the banquet table where we will eat from his provisions in Luke 14, 23, the story of the dinner party, Jesus tells about a man who threw a great dinner party, invited many. He sent out his servants to, to the invited guests saying, come on in. The food on the table is ready. But the guests began to make excuses why they couldn't come. And so the servant went back and told the master. And the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. You see, he reaches out to us. He seeks us out. He sends us out with the gospel of grace because there are broken people in our world. There are people who are isolated, even in the midst of a crowd. 
There are people who need to hear about God's gospel of grace, unmerited favor toward those who need to be saved, God's love for his creation. Remember, he loved the world and he gave his son Jesus to save the world from sin. And they cannot hear that and know that unless we tell them that. How will they know grace? If they don't hear about it from us and if they don't see it in us, they won't know about him. And sometimes we're not very graceful people. And many times we don't look at people the way that Jesus sees people. We're looking at the exterior. We're looking at the actions. We're looking about their, their background. And we're looking at their situation. And we're looking at how they're acting. All those kinds of things. But grace sees beyond the exterior and sees the heart. And sees the brokenness. And sees the loneliness. And sees the isolation. And sees the fear. And shows his love to them anyway. That's how we reach out. That's how we share the gospel of grace. We go to those who are lost and we let them know of God's love and we demonstrate that love just like Jesus demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then we find that great picture in Revelation 19, 6 through 9 where it says, uh, John writes, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and a loud perils of thunder shouting hallelujah for our lord god almighty reigns let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready fine linen bright and clean was given her to wear fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints then the angel said to me right blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb that great day when we will all gather from every language, nation, people, and background. We will all gather in his name. You see, we're like Mephibosheth, hopeless, helpless, without Christ. And it's only by his grace that you are saved through faith. The passage that is always uh, attached to this story is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Least any person should boast. So it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with Christ in us, showing grace to others, understanding that grace leads to forgiveness, and grace through forgiveness brings us into the community of believers through faith in Jesus Christ. There was a story many years ago about a person, and it was written in a book called Unexpected Blessings. And uh, this is some of the things that God does in us and through us. Uh, the book was written by Cameron Lee. And, and it talks about a story uh, that was related to him by a friend of his who said that he had a sister that had become very, very ill. And they took her to the hospital. This was an adult lady. And, and uh, the doctor had diagnosed the problem and had uh, signed the prescriptions and, and all the things that needed to be done. She was still in the hospital. They gave her this IV. They put in the medication. But when they put the medication in, she, she did not respond well uh, because it turns out that the doctor had given an overdose of the medication rather than the correct dose. And she died. 
And this individual whose sister had died as a result of the action of the doctor was just irate over this, as you can understand, and broken by it. And he could not find in his heart to be forgiving toward this doctor. A few years later, he became sick. He ended up in the hospital. And as he was being admitted into the hospital, the same doctor came to the family. And she said, I, and I acknowledge that I, I made the mistake before. I'm the one that did that. I would ask that you allow me to treat you today and be your doctor. And he said that he really struggled with that because he had not been able to really forgive her. She had asked forgiveness. He wasn't able to do it. So they finally said, yes, we will allow you to treat him. And he agreed. And she did treat him, and he got better. And he was able to go to her finally and say, you know, I was so angry with you over what you did and the mistake that you made and the death of my sister that I didn't think I would ever be able to come to you and talk to you, let alone say I forgive you. But he said, God has shown me through his grace that forgiveness is not just something I can say. It's something I have to do. And I trusted you to take care of me and help me get well. I forgave you completely when I told you I wanted you to be my doctor. And he said that, that the doctor just broke down because she could not quite grasp the grace that was being shown to her. When we seek out people who are broken and hurting people that need to be forgiven, people that have harmed us, people that we have a perception of and we don't recognize that God loves them even when we don't. Well, when we seek them out and we demonstrate grace to them, we're basically saying God loves you. And because God loves you, I love you. And because I love you, I will put aside all those things that get in the way of me demonstrating grace to you. Because the grace that I'm going to demonstrate and show you is the grace that's been shown me and Christ's love in me and Christ's love through me is to you because he has chosen you to be part of his kingdom. He desires that no one would perish but every single person come to salvation. How will they know unless they're told? How can they hear unless we preach? How can we really show what grace is if we only talk about it? And never do it. Grace means that you don't have to prove yourself to me. You don't have to make yourself worthy of me. You, for Christ, you can't make yourself worthy. There's nothing you can do. But by his grace, just like with Mephibosheth, he is reaching out to you in the most dark place in your life. And he's saying, I want you to come to me. Come to me. And we come to him in humility, acknowledging our brokenness and lostness. And we ask him to forgive us, believing that what he did on the cross was sufficient to pay the price for our sin. We, we turn from our sin in repentance and receive him by faith through grace. That's, that's a picture of grace. It's really a picture of what took place in Mephibosheth's life as well. And I love how God helps us to understand that. Here's just a basic lesson for you. There is great reward for those who receive God's grace through Jesus for those who share that grace with others. So it's not just what we receive, it's what we give. It's not just what we know, it's what we show in our life. Grace towards others. 
Who do you need to show grace to that God has shown grace in you? Because there's somebody in your life and that person needs to know that you're reaching out to them no matter what their situation or what their context and God's love needs to flow through you to show them that God's word is true. His covenant with Jesus and the new covenant through his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross is reaching out to you that you can be part of the wedding feast and you can eat at the table of the Lord forever. There's so much about grace that we can't put into one message or one teaching. But when you think of grace, think of grace as God's blessing in you and through you to somebody else to reach out to them and bring them to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and allow God's grace to be shown through you, not just spoken by you. Maybe this morning you're here and you've not received God's grace through faith. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. Nothing you could do. So maybe this morning if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord, he's reaching out to you right now. He's saying, I know who you are. I love you anyway. I want you to come to me and enjoy the blessings that I can give you. Forgiveness of sin and everlasting life with me in my kingdom. Maybe you need to do that this morning. Father, I thank you for the story of Mephibosheth. It's a great story, like many in in the Bible, that helps us understand in real life, through real people, how you reach out and how you bring us to that place where you can bless us, where you can encourage us, where you can save us, where you can engage us in in the work of your kingdom and, and you have a high expectation that we as your children will not only receive grace, but we will show grace unmerited favor to those around us so that we don't just deal and look for people who we believe earn our acknowledgement and respect but we specifically seek those out who do not because those are the ones that you have sent us to out in the highways and the byways to help invite them in to the wedding of the Lord I pray this morning, Lord, as we close, that you'll speak to each of our hearts. And if there's any decision that would need to be made, maybe there's somebody here who needs to come this morning and pray and acknowledge their sinfulness and surrender their life to Jesus, the Savior and Lord, knowing that what he did on the cross, believing in it, paid the price for their sins so that they can enjoy eating at the banquet table as well. Help us to identify those around us that need to see your grace, not just hear about it. And help us celebrate the grace you have shown us through worship, through obedience, through submission in all that we do and do it with great joy and great love for you. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name.